Listeners, this is going to be a great show. Io Magwood, MSC, founder of Uprooting Inequity, LLC, specializes in evidence-based, apolitical, and solutionary training on understanding and remediating structural racism. She is passionate about fostering cross-difference cooperation towards realizing equal opportunity for all. Her superpower is her ability to synthesize a wide range of research data, primary sources, and abstract concepts, and weave them into engaging narratives and diagrams. Io was recently recognized as a leading expert on social justice education. She has a BA from Brown University and a master's in science in applied economics from Cornell University. Now, I have used a lot of what Io has taught me in my own practice, and I have to say it is brilliant. I cannot wait for you to hear from her. Here we go. I'm educational justice coach, Lindsay Lyons, and here on the Time for Teachership podcast, we learn how to inspire educational innovation for racial and gender justice, design curricula grounded in student voice, and build capacity for shared leadership. I'm a former teacher leader turned instructional coach. I'm striving to live a life full of learning, running, baking, traveling, and parenting because we can be rockstar educators and be full human beings. If you're a principal, assistant superintendent, curriculum director, instructional coach, or teacher who enjoys nerding out about co-created curriculum with students, I made this show for you. Here we go. Io, welcome to the Time for a Teachership podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm excited. Yes. And so I cannot wait for our conversation. We're just going to kind of dive in here. We were just talking before we hit record. Normally, the first question I ask is, you know, what do we want people to keep in mind as we jump into our conversation? And you were telling me about an election unit you taught that was not actually about candidates, but about kind of what people needed to know to understand what was going on. And I just thought that was brilliant. Do you mind starting there and just talking to us about that unit? Sure. So I had a, it started because I had a um, de- student debate on affirmative action. And of course, I understand that people have different positions on it, uh, uh, ideological positions. So I was prepared for that. But I was not prepared for the, uh, a lot of the reasoning behind uh, both arguments, actually. They were uh, very uninformed. They were coming, they're just repeating sound bites often. Um, and reflecting on it, I realized that they were missing uh, a lot of historical context and, and, and contemporary uh, demographic and, and socioeconomic context. Um, and that I wasn't teaching it, even though I'm a US history teacher, I, I somehow just assumed they knew it. And, and well, I was teaching a more traditional uh, curriculum. And of course, it, it, has, it contains very little uh, historical uh, uh, history on the anti-Black racism, you know, the typical, um, U.S. history class, there's not a lot beyond, uh, you know, after the civil rights uh, uh, movement, then then they jump to Obama's. So, and redlining is maybe mentioned very briefly, um, hardly anything on income inequality and political polarization. So the next year um, was also the 2016 elections. Um, And I decided that my goal was that they would be able to um, participate in the national conversation that was occurring around uh, that campaign. And that from a foreign position this time, not just this is the right thing to say for based on my ideology. Um, so I basically taught all of the historical content um, for them to be able to understand the, the policy issues so that they could participate uh, in the conversation and discussion. So I moved the 1950s to the present or 1930s to the present unit to the beginning of the year, because of course, that's when they needed to know it in the fall. Um, 
and I revamped my the, that unit uh, uh, or units. I just took out the the foreign uh, relations part, and we taught. I mean, uh, I taught that at the end of the year, um, and we uh, I, I just sort of reorganized things and added things. So we're looking at the the through the historical through lines to that explain um, racial inequality, racial tension, racism. It's a structural racism today. Um, a second one was in income inequality, which is you know also a huge um, a factor behind uh, many of the policy issues. And finally, the political polarization. That was the, the shortest part. Um, so I just you know taught a lot of the same history, but uh, you know em, em, concentrating on on those uh, factors. And then at the end of the six week unit, I had um, I, I invited parents and family members, uh, uh, adults. Uh, to a, uh, a discussion, they, I broke the kids up into groups of mixed groups of, of adults and, and students uh, in several different classrooms. Um, and I had uh, several uh, you know, questions, but the, the, the discussion questions, but again, they, were, they weren't like right or wrong questions. They were like um, just wondering, right? Exploring, analyzing, and the parents were, were floored at how well, even when they got, were presented with novel issues they were able to to connect and and apply what they had learned well that was because i intentionally did that because i kept telling them throughout the the unit i was like remember the point is that that not just not that you learn these memorize these historical events but remember the point is is that you know 15 20 years you hear about something new a new issue or new policy that you're able to identify the patterns um, you know, look below it and see what the tensions are uh, between it and be able to make an inform and the historical context and be able to make an informed decision on where you stand on it. Um, so I emphasized that I emphasized the patterns. Like one of the things I did was um, that before we started uh, each unit, then um, I would present uh, what I call value tensions. I made them up, but um, for example, individual rights versus the common good. Uh, civil liberties versus national security, and they were on a continuum. They're not right or wrong, but on a continuum. We did a lot of um, take a stand activities, for example, and I would, in the beginning of the unit, I would give them, I would start out with very easy, easy, very, you know, something very obvious issues in, in, in their world around them, not national politics, where you have that tension, um, and then I would have them stand on a continuum and, you know, for several different ones until they 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 got they were able to identify see how all in all these issues we have there's the same or similar tension underneath it. Then we would uh, do the history the unit the the historical and, and again each time every time a new um, uh, historical event is I help them see the the patterns and then at the end of the unit we would go back to the present but this time with a more meaty controversial you know issues that are actually in the news. Um, and then the same thing, based on what you've learned in history and based on your understanding of those tensions, what can you tell me about, you know, what insights does that give you into this issue? So they had tons of practice, repetitive. Um, and so at the end, they, they were able to, to do that. Um, so, but I that's love my that. emphasis is on teaching historical and structural racism as opposed to interpersonal bias. I almost don't touch um, interpersonal bias. I think that's, first of all, that can be very ideologically uh, laden. Um, 
especially without, if you don't have that historical context, then if you're, it, it becomes very emotional and contentious and very ideological, but also I feel like I would be imposing um, a, 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 a position on them. Like this is the right thing, you know, this is the correct answer. This is the right position. This is, this is how you be racist and not racist, you know? And I, 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 I do that with myself and my son, but um, it, it's, I think it's inappropriate in, in the classroom. But I find that, you know, as long as you, you, you know that history and you have the evidence and you're basing your opinion on that evidence, um, then I, I found that the positions were, uh, you know, they could be very different, uh, ideologically liberal and conservative, but you don't have anybody saying something, you know, crazy or, or, or racist, right, you know? Um, so Absolutely. one of the ways I did that was a key way that I did that is um, in the beginning of the uh, of the unit, um, I had them, I asked them the question, you know, does structural racism exist? Like just the, the, the start of the section on, on race. Um, I said, this is, because I, I don't, I'm not going to tell them that structural racism exists. That's, um, you know, first of all, as a, as a black woman, I'm definitely not going to say that to um, a predominantly white classroom, but any, but anyhow, it's, it's just not good teaching, right? You know, that that's basic teaching is you, you don't, the students need to find out for themselves. Um, so uh, it, they looked at the data. So they they did what I call a, a data inquiry. <laughs> you know, instead of using historical um, inquiries are based on text, right? Primary sources, text, sometimes images. This one was based on data. It's all data. Um, and but I did say this is an empirical um, inquiry, uh, like you have in science, uh, or but. Um, not uh, not an opinion, and, and not just in science, in, in social science, right? In social science, in economics, sociology, you know, the human geography. It's an empirical issue that you're trying to figure out. So look at the data, and then uh, at the end, I say, okay, uh, what you're trying to figure out is does structural racism exist? What what did you find? And they're like, oh my god, it not only does it exist, but it is so much worse than we imagined. They, they, I knew structural racism existed because they told me, they told me that is not good teaching, right? Um, but there, and also not, not only should you not be telling, you know, that the students should be looking at the data themselves, but also it was interesting that, you know, once they saw the data, <laughs> they saw it was so much worse than they imagined because their imagination is, you know, if you just say structural racism exists without uh, that, you know, them seeing the data themselves, they, they imagine it to be much smaller than, than it is. And, and, then, and then they could see also very specifically how some of the ways it plays out, right? So then um, I presented them with a, a framework for the entire unit. Um, I said, we're gonna distinguish between empirical issues and opinion slash policy issues. So empirical issues are not up to debate. Um, you know, we don't debate uh, whether the Holocaust occurred, we don't debate whether it's like, um, um, you know, of what, what temperature water boils or, or freezes or whatever it is, right? So, um, and does structural racism exist? As we saw, it's an empirical issue. It's very, it's pretty straightforward to measure it, you know, in different ways. It's broken down, you know, how does structural racism affect, for instance, racial disparities in asthma, racial, you know, um, and, but there's, tons of tons and tons 
of evidence, right, on that. Um, so we we don't. It's not appropriate to debate it. We we assess the 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 evidence on it, and you should definitely be given the opportunity to assess the evidence on empirical issues before you just make a decision or you know based on sort of what you think. Um, and but then we're going to separate that from policy questions because that's opinion, and and that's that's going to vary a lot, uh, not just individually, uh, not just your identity, but also your ideology, obviously, right? You know, uh, more government intervention, less government intervention. That is, I, we are not uh, 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 suggesting that one is better than the other. If you're against affirmative action, totally respect that. I can, I, uh, you know, that's that's an ideological opinion. But you know, it's it, it's not the structural racism that's not up for for debate. And what that did was um, it it greatly minimized, it pretty much cut out mo the vast majority of ways that classrooms are disrupted by conversations on race um, and the vast majority of uh, parent concerns because um, most of the racism is going to enter the classroom when uh, a student sa uh, says, um, you know, structural racism doesn't exist, you know, not, not based on evidence, just because they, they haven't personally observed it in their um, 90, a 95% white community, they have not never personally observed it. So uh, structural racism doesn't exist, but they can see racial disparities. So, oh, but the racial disparities are due to black people just not working hard enough or are due to uh, being low income, right? And then that is not gonna go very well with the black students or Latino students or even you know people, other uh, progressives, right? So that's going to be one source, and then the other source of of the classroom disruption of uh, these conversations going wrong um, is if a conservative student says, for example, um, you know, I'm against for uh, I don't agree with affirmative action, which is a completely valid concern. But then, you know, uh, they get called racist, or you know, they they get that pushback. So if you when you have that distinction between empirical versus policy and uh, you look at the evidence, yes, structural racism exists. It, it does impact, it does not determine racial disparities. Clearly, individual effort and merit obviously also play a role, not too, but it, it certainly impacts it. You have to consider the impact of that on racial disparities. But then once that's established, um, people can have different opinions on what to do about it. That is very different. Um, and I would present that very just transparently to the students. And it would be interesting because, uh, you know, first it, it was an outburst, and it was usually on progressive students. Progressive students would um, shout out, "What? You don't allow people to say that affirmative action is bad?" I'm like, "Yep, <laughs> you know that is an opinion, right?" And then, oh, it always went the exact same way. And then they would then there'd be silence <laughs> for like a minute, and you could almost see the cogs being, you know, turning in their minds. And they're like, wait a second, wait, that, that works. That works, yeah, that, oh, yep, we're set, you know? Um, and it, it, it allowed for, it really reduced the tension and it allowed for much more respectful conversations, respect for each other. That also, remember, combined with those value tensions, right? Because, uh, you know, I had, I had or that was at the same time, uh, simultaneously 
you know, teaching them that, you know, they, the, those other people aren't stupid. <laughs> it's not a I'm right, they're, they're wrong, I got it right, they're stupid, but rather that they're valuing a different, you know, that they're, they're on the other, you know, they're valuing a different value in that value tension. Um, and all of, all of us agree that both of those values are important. We both, everybody agrees that indivis rights and the common good are, uh, are, are good things and based on the context. They're also foundational, uh, you know, part of our constitution, they're foundational um, values, same thing. Civil liberties, national security, but we disagree on, on where on that continuum, you know, what balance we're on. So that combined with the empirical versus um, policy framework, plus some other work I did with, um, uh, for example, I do deliberations instead of debates also. You know, it's not a, I'm right, I'm wrong, but we have to listen to each other, respect each other's, and come to a, um, you know, a, a final solution that is, that, that benefits the common good. But again, only policy issues, no, only policy issues, right? Not empirical issues, right? Um, and so, it, and I also emphasize, um, you know, the, that the, the goal was also the reason why I wanted them to be able to understand and take informed positions on policy was so that they could work together across difference, racial difference, ideological difference, whatever, um, work together um, and, and uh, deliberate together to find um, you know, solutions that, that, that benefit the common good that all of us are, are um, you know, the benefit the country, because that was also a concern of mine that we're so politically polarized. Um, anyway, I talked a lot. So. No, this is beautiful. I feel like this was like the majority of like what everything one needed to hear. So I'm so glad you went through all of it. I just wanted to highlight a few things that stuck out to me of just like this idea of how it looks in practice. Cause you took us kind of from the, the, you took us through the framework and the vision, but you took us through it through the lens of an actual unit or how you would lay this out for students. And so some things I'm just thinking if a listener is thinking, okay, how do I coach a history teacher to kind of do some of these things? I love the idea of kind of that. And I've talked about it on the podcast here before, and you were the one who introduced me to this theory or this, this concept of kind of the empirical or the policy, right? I think McAvoy and Hess, right. And like talk about these things. And so that is fascinating, right? So we can not, we don't debate the empirical. We do debate the policy. We can have a continuum. I love that idea. It's not either, or you can be on a continuum. Only on policy issues. Right. Yes. Great point. And then also that it benefits the common good. I think that grounding is like really central to the conversation. And that's how you get through those two challenges that you raise, right? If a, if a teacher's just kind of going in, and saying we're going to have these debates about policy issues, but the, the grounding isn't in that it, your answer has to benefit the common good, then you probably could get a lot of like racism and, and things coming out. But that grounding just makes it so that we eliminate, like you were saying, a lot of those concerns we may have. And honestly, concerns that teachers, often those concerns are so daunting for teachers that they don't even start the conversations because they're afraid of what might happen and they feel ill-equipped. And I think these are logistical things that you can do in a classroom to have a generative conversation that respects the dignity and honors the dignity of everyone and still enables for disagreement and like an authentic deliberation. So I just want to say thank you because that is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I my even I came to US history after teaching um civics and, and government for um 
uh, for several years. So I had that background. So civic discourse um, and uh, was was important to me. That um, so that makes sense to me. I, and I already had um, a lot of civic activities, like for instance, the deliberation. You know, the the take a stand. I had already I had already done the value tensions. I I, I transferred them over. I invented that. I came up with that when I was teaching U.S. government and civics. So um, I, I sort of adapted it to 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 the history, the history setting. I love the value tension. So honestly, I I just was working with the U.S. history team who was developing some new units, and my favorite one that they developed was or it, they didn't frame it in that exact way, like a value tension, but. It basically was like, is it more important to have this value or this value? And that was like the key question. And I just envision a world where like U.S. history units are taught where like each unit is a value tension. And then we just go back in history to explore like the both sides of those tensions. And then we use it to, like you were saying, bring it to the modern deliberation. Like what's going on now? Because I love your goal of like, how do we get students today to understand what's going on today using kind of history and that grounding to um, really be able to participate in the national discourse? Like, I, I love that. I would love to see that everywhere. <laughs> Thank you. The value tensions have several um, goals or uh, benefits. And one is like you said, the respect on, um, uh, you know, of other positions, ideological positions. But also, it also encourages them to to move a little bit towards the the well off the extremes. I don't care where they are. You know, they don't. I don't. It's not like I want them all to be exactly in the middle. But the the extremes are usually not very healthy, right? Um, so it it and stop thinking it as a binary. But it usually leads them to have a position that's at least slightly you know off of the the extremes on the continuum because that's what a debate does. A debate encourages you almost forces you to be you know 100% this or 100% this um the whole package right um but that allows them to think more critically it's also encourages more critical thinking right because you're you're able to weigh it and, and you can say well you know this but that maybe actually this part can be further on and this part can be yeah. it, it it you break down the components and really weigh the advantages and disadvantages, um, which makes you, which helps you, like I said, it helps your critical thinking skills and also it really helps you have a, a more informed position rather than just, you know, uh, the talking points. And then the other um, advantage of the, the value chance is that's what allowed me, allowed them to draw the historical through lines or not all by itself, but it really helped them to draw the historical through lines and also, again, to, to be able to understand the, the present day issues. Cause they had two, they had two resources or um, one was that historical context, right? Um, for example, terms that are used in, in politics, right? They're historically laden. They have, the, the, they say historical connotation. They have, you know, lots of the terms we use law and order and on and on and on, right? They have deep historical connotations that kids don't know, right? So they have that historical context and historical connotation, um, and then they have that value judgment. Those two things will allow them to make an informed decision. And I also, I, yet another thing is, um, so all, everything else that I've said so far was explicit, very explicit and very, uh, that I taught the kids. One thing I did not um, explicitly share with the kids is that I indirectly, um, uh, I modeled, well, first of all, I modeled uh, uh, 
that you know we're we, we're we're learning, right? We're growing. We're constantly making mistakes, and it, that's okay, you know. Um, so I, I would tell them, for example, you know, I'm wearing my teacher hat, right? So I mean, you can't say something completely uh, uh, obnoxious, and but but if you, this is your chance to ask all these questions that you were scared to ask, because this is a learning space, a learning space, and then once you, uh, so that you don't make those mistakes or you feel more confident when you go out and have these conversations elsewhere. But also I modeled uh, in the very beginning when we started that, um, I, I almost, I very don't talk about bias very much. Uh, I, I feel that it's more important as a US history teacher to teach that historical context and about structural racism. Um, teaching about bias and interpersonal racism, first of all, it's hard to do without being, uh, teaching progressive values, right? Uh, which is not inappropriate in the classroom, we should be non-ideological. And it, it's very much telling kids, you know, how you should live, what you should, if you don't believe this, then you are racist and this is the right position. It, it, I don't know, it's, it's hard to, yeah. And, and also that US history, right? That's the historical context is that, that history and that the co contemporary structural racism that that's my job, right? Um, and also, uh, they can learn. It's pretty easy to learn about bias outside the classroom. They, they have a hundred chances to learn about uh, interpersonal race outside that classroom, but they will have very few chances to learn that history and about structural racism outside the classroom. And finally, that historical structural racism will set them up to learning about bias because, from what I've seen, a lot of ways that these conversations and discussions on bias go wrong is like how my, my students, you know, when they discuss affirmative action, right? Because they're, they're not aware that they're, they're not those, those um, positions on bias or interpersonal racism are not informed by it. So I see my role as, you know, setting them up. Um, but anyhow, the, so that, but, so I would model that, uh, that the, the one, one of the few times I talked about bias is at the very beginning to, you know, to set the tone in the classroom. So the, the one thing, you know, this is, you can't say anything, something obnoxious, but you can ask questions that you would be afraid to ask somewhere else. And then the, 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 the second thing is I would um, model, look, I'm, I'm, a, you know, 50 year old African-American woman. And I, and I, you know, step in it all the time, I mess up, right? Um, you know, with other, I say things that are, you know, offensive to other people. And I gave an, an example, actually. I gave an, uh, an actual example uh, that involved uh, another staff member. Well, maybe I didn't name them, I forget. But, um, and I say, I, I'm continuing learning. I'm, you know, I mess up, I fall down. I apologize. You know, I inform myself. So it, I, I won't do that, at least particular thing. Again, I, I said, that's part of, it, just a natural part of living in a diverse uh, country. And it's, has tons of benefits. I love living in such a, a, a diverse uh, community, but um, my responsibility as a resident, a citizen, is that I need to educate myself on it, and I'm going to make mistakes along the way. You know, I mean, it's not like you say, check, I, I don't have any more biases. I was like, it's, it's like, I don't say, check, I am a, I learned how to be a good mother, right? So, or, um, you know, you don't say check. I learned how to be good Christian, Jew, and Muslim, right? It, it's a, 
pizza con or check I am the perfect uh, partner, spouse, right? It's a constant process and you're going to mess up. You are going to inadvertently offend your, your spouse or your child, right? What do you do? You just apologize, inform yourself, keep on going. And so I think that helped a lot. And then the final thing is that I helped. I was, again, I didn't say it, but um, I, I made comments along the way that helped them see themselves as a we. A we I, I fostered a we identity. Equity, con I call it equity conscious we identity. I told them, you know, like the, the six blind men who touched the elephant in different parts, we're, we're living on different parts of the elephant. We're not just touching different parts of the elephant, we live on different parts of the elephant. So our Americas look very different. We each see a, an experience of very different America. Um, so we got to talk, but so just like this explainer, we got to talk to each other so that we can move the elephant forward together because we're, you know, even though we're in different parts of the elephant, we're also on the same elephant and it benefits us all to move it forward. So you got to figure out how to, you know, how to look at empirical evidence and how to talk about policy issues in, and listen to each other so that you can figure out solutions that benefit the common good, which is the whole elephant, to move it forward. So we were constantly, I would, I would say, uh, you know, you guys have to learn these skills. You have to learn the, the skills of looking for evidence. I also taught them how to read data graphs. Of course, they learned that in math class, but it's different for, you know, social science issues. We looked at, you know, learning how to data, learning, uh, learn how to use go-to evidence, and then you know, you learn how to deliberate, learn how civic discourse, you learn how you're learning all these things so that when you go out in the world, you know, you can, you can help. Uh, I, I told them us adults messed up, right? We've created this world with, you know, racism and uh, uh, structural poverty, structural uh, racism, extreme political polarization. We can't even pass any laws because Congress is so divided. We adults messed that up, but you, we, I, I'm, I'm counting on you. You guys have the opportunity to use these skills to move the elephant forward, to, to pass, to vote on policies that will improve the country and, and bring us back together, that will reduce racism, structural racism, reduce structural poverty and, and, and pass laws that improve the common good. Um, so you notice what I was doing there is first of all, I'm fostering that we identity, you know, we identity with many differences, but, um, and you can work together, right? Um, but the second thing also is I'm taking away the shame and blame, right? You are not, no, none of you as young people are responsible for what was in the past, but <laughs> you are collectively responsible for improving the future. <laughs> you see that? that difference. Um, and then I would say, you know, 30 years from now, when I'm in that old age, old people home, don't let me find out that you guys dropped the ball. I, we are counting on you to work together and move things forward and, and fix a little bit of what we messed up. So I didn't, I didn't tell them what was behind that. That was the only, thing. I didn't tell them what was behind that, but I was fostering that, that, um, those 
feelings or disposition, I should say. That is amazing. Thank you for sharing all of that. I think as we move to close, I think people have been listening, have probably been like, yes, I want to do all of these things. And I, I'm wondering if there's one thing we can share as a place to start for either a teacher or someone who's kind of coaching teachers, history teachers to kind of do this better. Where, what's kind of step one, what's kind of the thing that gets the momentum going if you had to pick one. Hi, it's Lindsay, just popping in here quickly to tell you about today's episode freebie. Io talks about in this episode, her lesson plan, where she uses the metaphor of the blind man and the elephant to teach about important structural racism concepts. That lesson is going to be available to you for free. Thank you, Aya. And that will be located on our blog post for this episode. That's at lindsaybethlyons.com slash blog slash 132. Back to the episode. Um, that's kind of hard because they definitely worked in, um, I would not do one of those alone. Um, the, so I guess you could divide it into see, two parts, right? Two in basic, it's that, you know, same thing, the empirical. So for the empirical, you know, teaching that history, teaching that structural racism. So unfortunately I had to, um, I had to invent that um, basically. Uh, I had to teach myself a lot of it too. And then I had to create resources and figure out how to teach it to kids because teaching about historical and structural racism, you know, is hard. Um, I do have a, um, a, 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 a short article in Psychology Today that summarizes um, the, because I train now, I, I now train teachers um, how to do this, but it's, I, I tell them you cannot do them separate. So you have to, on one hand, you know, teach that historical and structural racism with tons of data, not just primary sources, but data, et cetera, um, on one hand. And, and I, I came up from bad experiences. Well, what I did is after every time I would try something new or after the unit, I was constantly sending out um, Google monkey forms, anonymous, but they had to specify their race and their ideology. And I would pour through those um, and then say, oh, I need to adjust it, you know, and I'll adjust it next, the, you know, the next, for the next year. Or sometimes if, if I could see it did not go well in the classroom, I would come back the next day and say, I'm, I'm sorry, I apologize. Uh, that did not go well. I'm going to restart that. So I, um, but anyhow, um, yeah, so that, that, that's one set of skills and resources that teach mm-hmm. about structural, structural racism and they don't really exist. Um, and then the other part um, is the more civic part. So that includes the value tensions um, and that uh, I, I, the, basically the, the pers- I call it per- it's perspectives consciousness or being able to take perspectives taking, they call it. And I use the blind men and the elephant framework we, I would simulate it um, with the students. Students would simulate the blind man and elephant. Um, I have that, that lesson is free on my website, by the way. Um, so awesome. the on the very very first day of school, they would I have them. I would blindfold you know three volunteers, and I brought out this old sculpture of a bear that I found in the store art room storage, um, and then I put a different part into each of their hands. They would I say describe the shape, not the text the feel, but the shape. Of course, they disagreed. Um, and then um, I would share the the parable or metaphor to them. And they got they got it, right? Everyone has different perspectives on the issue. And I said, okay, I'm going to take it one step forward. And I gave them um, maps of the racial maps of Washington to see where I was. And you could see the stark segregation of both. I gave them three maps, racial, 
um, political ideology or who voted for in the last election and also income. And I said, okay, what does that, how does that connect? And they were working in pairs and usually you take them a while, but eventually each year, one of the kids would say, oh my God, we're not just touching different parts of the elephant. We're actually living on different parts of the elephant. And um, we're experiencing different Americas. And, and I said, yes. So the experiencing different Americas, that's the empirical issues, right? Um, in, in, in large part, right? Because um, you, you, you have students say who look at a graph of national graph and say, no, that's not true. You did, because it, yeah, you, you see that map right there? You see that, you see that neighborhood right there that's 99% white you know, and high income? Yeah, you live in that bubble. You don't see the rest of the world. This is national averages, right? You know, um, so that living on different parts of the elephant is more like that empirical, and then the touching is is more like the policy. You know, the different opinions based on your identity and stuff. And I I put that I blew up that poster and have it on the wall all year long, and we would refer to it, and, and the kids would refer to it like if they're having a discussion, not not even about race, about the year, right? having a discussion about whatever and one of the kids gets entrenched in their in their position the other kid would point to the wall and say remember the elephant <laughs> you know um, it got to where the English teachers <laughs> came to me and were like so what is this elephant that the kids are talking about in English in my class <laughs> so they That's started so great. <laughs> you know but um so the, yeah those two parts the two they have to be, uh, you, you have to do them in tandem. Um, that absolutely. makes so much sense. They, yeah, because you, because if you just like present the structural racism without, first of all, giving them that freedom to have different opinions on political issues, you can see how that doesn't go well. Um, and also without training them to work together, you know, to respect each other's differences on different parts of the all that you know is it, they work together and, and then also vice versa i would not do all any of the civics part unless they had the historical and economic um evidence too so they work together but i do have um so that's what i do now i i, I train teachers um how to do that and i also um i developed uh, i have like huge um huge data bases of uh, not database i have these huge powerpoint um, of just slides of different data points, different historical resources, primary sources, um, and that's part of the package. If I if I train um, teachers, they get um, they they get that just treasure trove of tons and tons of of um, yeah, slides with the data graphs with the uh, the results of of different research, um, you know, primary sources, et cetera. Um, and then, uh, you know, they can pick and choose, of course, you know, based on their curriculum, based on their interests, based on uh, whatever they, it, it makes it easier for them to, to feed it into their given, into their own curriculum, you know, they can take to enhance. Um, so, 
Yeah. And I, I was going to say, you're leading me into my, my final question of just like where people can learn more about you. And of course we'll link to all these things, the psychology today article, um, that, that lesson you were saying, we'll link to your site and the lesson on perspectives, consciousness, um, where can people who are a lot of people who listen to this are leaders. And if they're interested in bringing you to their school for training, like how do they get in touch with you and, and where would you want them to go to connect? Yep. Um, my, uh, consult- consultancy is named uprooting inequity. So the, that's intentional. It's, uh, the uprooting is uh, is reflective of my um, my focus on getting to root causes, right? So when they're looking at policy issues, when you're looking, and also on the institutional level, right? So if you have, if you're trying to address, for example, inequity on the institutional level as school administrators, you know, let's get down to, let's drill down to the root causes. And some of them may be historical, some of them may be behavioral science. I'm, I'm a huge nerd. I, I eat, uh, I eat uh, peer-reviewed journal articles for breakfast um so i'm always so you know the historical roots economic roots of behavioral science um and as in addition to uh, evidence-based strategies so i'm always like let's get to, so that's essentially the the same thing with the the policy issues right i'm telling the kids you know don't vote on it or take your position because this is the right way but you know let's get to the root behind the policy issue which is you know both historical and structural racism or whatever is. So that's that's why I'm uprooting inequity um, instead of addressing uh, on the top. And I have a website, uprootinginequity.com. Perfect. Ayo, thank you so much for being a guest on this show today. It has been a pleasure learning from you. Thank you for having me. If you like this episode, I bet you'll be just as jazzed as I am about my coaching program for increasing student-led discussions in your school. Shane Safir and Jamila Dugan talk about a pedagogy of student voice in their book, Street Data. They say students should be talking for 75% of class time. Do students in your school talk for 75% of each class period? I would love for you to walk into any classroom in your community and see this in action. If you're smiling at yourself as you listen right now, grab 20 minutes on my calendar to brainstorm how I can help you make this big dream a reality. I'll help you build a comprehensive plan from full day trainings and discussion protocols like Circle and Socratic Seminar to follow up classroom visits where I can plan, witness, and debrief discussion-based lessons with your teachers. Sign up for a nerdy, no strings attached brainstorm call at lindsaybethlyons.com slash contact. Until next time, leaders, think big, act brave, and be your best self. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at teachbetter.com slash podcasts, and we'll see you at the next episode.